This podcast is powered by The Plug. Hello, this is Marisol Solar-Terlocker, psychotherapist and consultant. And this is the Resilience and Resistance Podcast, a podcast about successful Black, Indigenous women of color who have overcome trauma and become resilient. Hi, Crystal. Thanks for being my first guest on my podcast. Super excited about this. So this is a podcast to share stories of successful women of color who have overcome some kind of trauma over the course of their lifetime and move toward a place of healing. So I'm super excited about you being here because I feel like we talk about this all the time. We do. (laughs) I feel like this is basically a podcast for me to interview all of my friends. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm honored to be your friend and to be on your pod. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about what you do, who you are, other fun facts. (laughs) (laughs) Well, currently I'm the executive director of Shinnuk Fund professionally. So I essentially run a a small social justice foundation. We do grant making. We train volunteers on race and class and systems of power and then train them up on how to do grassroots fundraising. And then they democratically allocate the funds. It's a a local Colorado-based organization. And I don't even know where to begin with other things. I think I'm, I'm from Oregon originally. You and I met not too long after I first moved to Denver in the early 2000s. It's part of old, old Denver, one of the old Denvers. And other things about me, I... Identify as a queer person of color, non-binary, come from a mixed race, and I also say mixed class family. A lot of blue-collar workers. Many of the men in my family were mill workers in the paper mills of Oregon. Uh, my mom worked a lot of different service jobs, retail jobs, had her own daycare business for a while. So definitely bring a lot of that working class, I think, kind of like hardworking ethic to, to what I do. And my grandmother on my father's side is from Japan. So my dad is Japanese. My mother is white. And that definitely being mixed and racially really definitely impacts, I think, the spaces that I feel comfortable, the ways that I can sometimes be a bridge between different communities, whether that's code switching or being able to to pass in different ways and, and be able to be to speak up around certain issues, depending on who's in the room and really trying to find ways to to leverage that. Yeah, I feel like that's great. I think that I struggle a little, little in terms of talking about women of color because I know that identities are so varied. I think not only with the people in my life, but I think that in terms of how our experiences, who we are, our identities just play into all of it. So maybe I I, I need to rethink the name. I'm working (laughs) on it. So the reason that I asked you to come and I feel really excited that you are the first guest because I think that we talk a lot about where we've come from, how our past has impacted who we presently are and probably a lot of how it's driven us to be where we are today. So I would love to just hear more about when you think about overcoming trauma, what it means to be resilient. Is there anything that comes to mind? I think what feels probably most present for me in recent, like in this position that I'm in now professionally is imposter syndrome. And so there are a lot of different ways where I may second guess myself or be in a room where other people don't look like me or maybe come from a much more privileged background around education, class, you know, all those types of different power dynamics. So it's definitely become a practice to really step into my power in that way and to 
own that and, and know the questions that I have in certain meetings are valid, that the experiences that I bring and the opinions and perspectives are also valid. And to not second guess myself as much and to recognize that there are many people with a lot of privilege, a lot of power that have way too much confidence. And so to, to balance some of that out, to really just try to, to trust that I can surround myself with the, the right folks too that will hold me accountable and support me in my growing edges, but also to not be my own kind of worst enemy around silencing myself before I've even had a chance to really, yeah, really own, own what I can bring to a space. Yeah, I love that you bring that up because I think that one of the reasons this felt really important to me was I read the book Heavy by K.S.A. Lehman which I think I've shared with you before. And one of the things that he's talked about, because you know he talks about his own developmental trauma and his relationship with his mother and the impact of physical abuse in his life. And one of the things that he says, because a lot of people will say, well, you're, you're successful. Like you've made it, you've done well. This seems like an unfair critique of your childhood. And one of the things that he says is, I always wonder if it, I would have gotten here faster. And I think that that is a huge or a significant thing that shows up for people of color in these spaces is how it impacts our ability to show up and be present and speak up and use our voice and not have to move through that process where I think other people may not have that experience. They feel very uh, entitled to that space and get there very quickly and don't have to go through some of the things that we have to in order to find our power to step into that. Mm -hmm. Well, let me ask another question. I know that we talk a lot about our moms. And part of, I think, one of the things that brought us together was uh, a lot of similarities that we share. Our moms are both young when they had us, both teenagers. I think that we have moms that have had their very significant struggles. And I think that as we have maybe shifted in terms of our own, you know, access to resources and our own, you know, our financial security, and then we have moms that still struggle financially you know, are still very working class and have a lot of those struggles, the meaning of that for us and, and how that impacts us currently. Tell me, like, what do you think about, like, in terms of your process, like how that has impacted where you are now? <laughs> All right, we're just going to go a very there. loaded question. <laughs> we're really going to talk about our moms. Yeah, I mean, it's very, I actually was just having a conversation a couple of nights ago with my partner about this because I do, the, the two of us do provide along with one of my, with my siblings, financial support for my mother. And I think it's a constant struggle to kind of push back against the parental dynamic and the ways that I was parentified as a young person. And as the old, I also was the oldest of three, though one of my brothers was much younger than me, so we weren't really raised um, in the same household. But that dynamic of feeling sometimes like she's making irrational decisions, like she just spent some money she wasn't expecting and it told me she had this great plan for a purchase she needs. And then was like, oh, someone told me I didn't need that thing for my car. And so I didn't buy it, but I spent all the money. So can you buy that thing I actually really need? And it just, for me at first, I was irritated and that was coming across in my tone. And then, and then I felt guilty about that because I'm like, you know what? She deserved to have those things that were like hobbies of hers that she spent the money on. It wasn't just frivolous were things that were bringing her joy. And so I think around the class piece and my own upward mobility and financial security, both with my own career and being partnered with someone who makes, I would say, excess wages, just a real need to like keep a real clear like awareness of of checking that for myself and recognizing that my mom is her own person with her own agency and I'm really committed to giving her unconditional financial support. So that means for me that it doesn't mean I have to pay direct bills. It means that I trust her with giving her, you know, a certain amount of cash that she can use for discretionary spending. It also means that I've had to advocate with, you know, my siblings around some of those dynamics as well when when those power dynamics can come come into play. And I think it's, you know, it's a constant struggle too to not be stuck in guilt around what I do have or things I maybe don't want to share with her because like trips I've taken or things I've purchased 
because they're not things that that she's been able to have or not things that that she could do for herself. And that's really that's that you know is a daily struggle I would say in, in my in my life. Amarisol Solar Derlacher, as a trauma expert who's worked in the field for almost 20 years, I'm transitioning from clinical practice to offering workshops, training, and coaching to mid-sized companies, organizations, and nonprofits. I partner with companies and organizations who are interested in building the resilience of their staff and empowering them regarding their mental health and well-being. If this is you, reach out to me so we can start a conversation about how I can help. If you know someone who might be interested, feel free to pass along this information. You can find more at my website, and the link can be found in the show notes. Again, as always, thank you so much for listening. Yeah, I mean, I think that that, I'm so glad that you articulated it that way, because I think that this is something that we, maybe in the professional world or, you know, when we're a little bit more siloed, we don't really talk about these things in terms of the daily impact. We kind of think about like that was our childhood or our family, you know, as a thing. And then, you know, we, we, we have and create and cultivate our own lives and our own families. But, you know, that those things are always present. It's, it's real. One of the things that I think, you know, you brought up, very, also very relevant, is code switching. And this idea of, you know, coming from a working class family, a working class community, and then, you know, obviously having to be in a position where you are an executive director and, you know, you're in different spaces. So having to navigate sometimes having to navigate both spaces. I know for myself, I remember when I got my master's degree, I thought about getting my PhD. I remember my first thought was, if I get my PhD, what will it mean when I go back to my community? Which I always thought was such an interesting thought, right? Like, could I go back in the same way? How will people perceive me? Will they think I'm too entitled? Will they, will I be able to come back in the same way? Tell me about that experience. What is it like going home? Or like, how do you feel like you have anything that you internalize around just being back home with your people. Yeah, again, I have a really vivid memory of coming back home for a weekend when I was in college. I studied sociology and women's studies as an undergraduate. And I was learning about things like welfare reform and all of the safety net rollbacks. And it was in one of those early classes I took, you know, I think my first first or second year of college that everything began to click. And I was like, oh, this is why my mom continues to experience poverty. This is why being a single mother is so challenging. This is, you know, clearly there's all these myths about you can just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And and then also like within, I think in my experience with seeing how my mom interacted with other single moms as well, a lot of judging, you know, of like, well, this woman's taking advantage of the system and doing this and that. And so the so I had a really skewed perception of, of what the realities were in terms of the systems at play. And so when I went home and I had this kind of excitement of just like pulling back the curtain on, you know, for one, it's not your fault and you did nothing to deserve this. And here's the things that need to change, you know, in our society to create you know, basically more equity and and to better all of us, I found that like, I just learned a bunch of jargon, you know, so it was really hard to figure out how to have those conversations. And I think, I think it took me many years to be able to, I don't know, just have, and even just have dialogue versus that time in my early 20s when I was learning about new ideas and really excited about it, but also was talking a lot more than I was probably listening in, in most of those conversations. So, so I'm, I'm happy that that shifted. I think it's a more enjoyable experience for everyone. But I think with what it means now when I go home, one of my brothers and I are the only two that moved out of state that have, I would say, more like traditional careers as college graduates. We have professions. And, that, and that's on both our uh, mom and dad side of the family. So there is, and we're also the only ones that don't have kids that are like our age. I'm 40. He's in his late 30s. 
And we do kind of stand out in that way. We're always good students. We're always like really responsible, partly because we didn't have a lot of parental oversight and we were those overly responsible, traumatized children that were responding that way. Yes. (laughs) And so when I I come home, I, I think one thing I'm grateful for is I think my family is really has embraced the opportunities that we've had. And so whether that's been times we've been able to travel or things we've been learning at school, that there genuinely is a curiosity versus a judgment or a you're not like us anymore. I haven't I haven't felt that. I also think sometimes people just don't really know how to relate or don't know what to ask. So it's not that I get a lot of questions about the kind of work that I do. But I have been able to have some really great conversations with my mom at times around really helping to to lift up and really like let her know how much that her advocating for against injustice, seeing her back up, you know, groceries for our friends that live down the street that didn't have food that night, even when we were on food stamps or we had to go to the food bank to just that idea that there's always enough. You always have an extra room or an extra place for someone to sleep. You always have an extra meal for someone to join you for dinner, that those values really did help guide my, you know, what became like activism and, and eventually working professionally in social justice as well. So even though she hasn't had access to those kinds of like specific spaces, she has always been an advocate, you know, around a lot of different types of issues. And I really try to try to just own that a little bit more and, and also let her know. Yeah, I think it's interesting, like our own developmental process in terms of our 20s, you know, and what we're learning and how we're re-engaging with our families and our communities. And, you know, I think we have this period of disruption and then we kind of grow into our own maturity around that and um, start to really understand the meaning of it, their relationship to us and then what it all means. That being said, I'm I'm curious, part of this is really talking about post-traumatic growth and resilience. And, you know, part of it is overcoming you know, significant struggle from childhood, like you talked about, both of us being (laughs) parentified, overly responsible, firstborn children, Scorpios. (laughs) But I'm curious, when you think about how resilient you have been through this, right? I think that that, that's a a huge benefit for us. The fact that a lot of the struggles or a lot of the ways that we adapted to childhood have actually become strengths for us, right? And the ways that we saw our parents adapt and struggle have become strengths. And part of it is being able to break some of those patterns, right? be able to break that generational trauma, break some of the, you know, obviously the, the patterns of, you know, our, our behavior that were difficult in their lives and then, you know, in our lives as well as children. What are the things that you see just in terms of like how you've been able to overcome some of those generational patterns and, you know, end some of them in your own life? There's a couple things I think of. One, I think in terms of just family dynamics and the ways that my parents were really supportive. Uh, they divorced when I was young before I started kindergarten. But I always felt very encouraged academically. And because I enjoyed school, there I was really on a college track, which is not usual. I was the first one in my family to graduate from college. I went on a full scholarship. I had a four-point GPA when I graduated high school and applied to one college, which I think back on that, I'm like, what? Why did no one intervene in that in that moment? But I think having that unconditional love and support and just that idea of the adults in my life, my caregivers believed in me really helped set me up for success in school really became an escape from what could sometimes be a really chaotic home life. I also think that there was I think I think there were certain like certain ways that I've been resilient because as a as a young person so one experience that I had in my home was domestic violence. That was sometimes a daily occurrence. It was very much a pattern for a lot of my childhood, not with my father, but with other men in my mother's life. But I myself was more a witness or bystander to that type of violence. Obviously was traumatized and impacted by it, but wasn't personally harmed physically. And I think that there is something about that experience that is, yeah, it's, it's, it's different in terms of how I was able to integrate or how I was able to see myself and, and feel my sense of worth in the world as a person and maybe even believe in myself. I think that as 
as I've gotten older, I would I would say even just in the last year, my idea around like trauma, like post-traumatic like growth from trauma or whatever the term is, it's, I think I have a lot more unresolved issues than I realized I did as I'm learning about attachment theory and thinking more about like nervous systems and what happens when I'm triggered in different spaces and what like relationship dynamics are coming up in my life. And so I'm kind of in a position where I'm like looking back a lot and reflecting and and really issues are coming up or dynamics are coming up that I really have been unaware of. I think because one of my really strong coping mechanisms that has got me to this place in terms of success in a traditional sense is being super responsible, having a lot of perfectionist tendencies, adopting a more, you know, dominant culture. And sometimes I would say internalizing white supremacy, like work culture around being high achieving, having high expectations for myself and for others around me, which means I'm very productive, which means I can run an organization, I can raise money, which are great for capitalism and great for the nonprofit industrial complex and not always great for my spirit or not great for my physical wellness and can also be ways that I can hide behind or escape from, you know, these other, yeah, other needs that I may have or that I'm not really tending to or not even aware of. So definitely a really, a lot to to explore there. Yeah, I think that's so great because I think that that's absolutely a way that trauma and the way that we adapted is very insidious, right? There are ways that it's so functional and makes sense. And then we feel like we're, we've done it or, you know, we've achieved it or we've made it. But in reality, we haven't been able to really see how those ways that we've adapted have really impacted us in terms of our own mental health our own spiritual development, our own well-being. So I know that it's been a process for you as a process. It's been a process for me. And, you know, I think that a lot of times we just don't have the ability to reflect on that, right? Because again, I think there are a lot of ways that the ways that we show up are very functional, but sometimes the ways that we have to manage a lot of the other things that that are happening for us, aren't we, we don't get to talk about them. Right. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true thinking about this idea of, you know, our own process. I feel like, you know, when you talk about early, early Denver, <laughs> I feel like, you know, we talk about this idea of becoming the elders when we weren't the elders before we were the young ones. But thinking about other, you know, Black, Indigenous, people of color um, coming up in these spaces and really trying to figure it out for themselves. And, you know, I think as m- maybe your experience was my experience, I didn't have a lot of mentorship from other, you know, women of color who identify the way that I did. What do you think would be important for them to know in terms of this process, in terms of moving past childhood and developmental trauma and really coming into your own? I mean, for me, having mentors, formal and informal, has really been critical, especially when I've been navigating, you know, white dominant spaces and just racist dynamics that are really within the culture of an organization. So having those mentors has been really, really helpful. I think that you know, having, I think it's important to, to have a, a network of support, whether it's, you know, close friends, fellow organizers or, or peers in the field, and to be able to find those people or find those small circles where you can be vulnerable in these kinds of ways, where there is space to share your stories and hold space as you witness other people sharing their stories. I had the opportunity to be a, a fellow in the Transformative Leadership for Change Fellowship Program in its first year that I actually started right before I even applied for this um, position I have now at Chinook Fund. And it, the curriculum was partly developed by Standing in Our Power. And Tej Kumari Motilal, who was one of the founders of the organization, was one of our facilitators for that circle and really brought a lot of storytelling, a lot of vulnerability. It was a space for people of color, primarily uh, women of color, but it was a all-inclusive like in terms of gender space. But being able to to really talk about those fears we have, to really talk about times when we feel weak or times when we feel isolated in a space where... We didn't have to worry about being twice as good as our white counterparts, which those are the standards that unfortunately many of us come up against. And so I think that's important to know as well, whether that means 
you know, thinking about who is on the board of directors for the organization you work with, thinking about how you can make sure that people that are aligned values-wise and politically are in your volunteer base and are starting to move up the ranks in terms of leadership. I think those things are important. And, and I think it's just important to give yourself a break, you know, to know that the, the movement sometimes can be really relentless, relentless and making us feel like we're not enough or organizations are not enough. And so I've really had to push myself to really take literal pauses with myself, with the people I'm working with to celebrate the successes because it's so easy to just move on to the next goal or raise the fundraising, you know, goal if you hit it early, for example. And instead of that, sometimes we really just need to pause and say, we did it. We arrived. We're here. We should be proud of the work we did together. Together and and to really let that also replenish you know replenish you in, in some of those moments. Yeah, I love that. I think what I think is so important is not about the destination, right? It's about our journey together, and that if this process, however we get here, professionally, personally, if it leads to our healing, that's that's the best thing. So I'm super honored that you're my first guest of this podcast. This makes me so excited. I feel like we could talk forever. There's so much to talk about. We could keep talking about our moms. <laughs> I know we might have a part two, part three. We'll see. We'll come up with some themes. <laughs> part two. How? Yeah. There's so much to tell. And I think also like our relationships to our siblings and, you know, our partner relationships, which are all like extremely linked to our professional life. Professional life seems like such a small part of this. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But I think for the young folks out there too, to not shy away from your own like mental health support, your own like healing support, energy work, herbal work. I can't tell you how many things I've tried. And there have been many times where I've spent more on therapy to deal with my coworkers than to deal with romantic relationships. So you may hit those moments at times when you're working that closely with people. Yes. Therapy is the way or other forms of healing, all of it together combined, right? I think think that's been the beauty of, well, my personal process, right? I'm a therapist, but just having that support of people in your life that continually encourage your own healing and your own process and have a lot of patience for that. And so I feel really grateful for that because of you in my life and, you know, all the other people that have come alongside me. So, yeah. So thanks. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me to have this conversation and for being my friend and my family. Yeah. Thank you. And, you know, part two, part three to come up. We'll have a lot more. We can tell lots of stories. (laughs) Lots and lots. So anyway, thank you again. Say something that I made up a lot to believe is not fucking selfish. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you or your company are looking to jump into the podcast world, now is the time. The Plug Agency is here to connect you to the full power of podcasting. You just record and leave the rest to us. The people are listening and want to hear from you. Theplug-agency.com. That's theplug-agency.com. Click the link in the episode description for an exclusive offer.